From Exabeam, this is the new CISO, a show about the people who lead IT security teams, the challenges they face, and how they overcome them. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to hear our new episodes first. I'm Steve Moore, and on this special episode, we welcome back previous guests, Deneen DeFiore of United Airlines, Colin Anderson of Levi's, and Charlie McNerney of Expedia. Twenty twenty threw us some major curveballs. How have teams adapted? What worked well, and what trends can we look out for as we head into the new year? First off, welcome to Spotlight, and uh, welcome to the new CISO podcast as well. This particular event is the twenty twenty one Cybersecurity Predictions. I am Steve Moore, Chief Security Strategist. This is a show of a couple different firsts. This is our first video podcast. Uh, We have not yet done that. This is our first, I guess, live, meaning meaning broadcast live podcast. Of course, they're all live at some point. So some firsts. It's also the first time we've had three CISOs on that have all been prior guests. So with that in mind, each of them, you know, we spend about an hour with with each of them to kind of get to know them. So we won't be doing at-length introductions because uh, we only have an hour of our time today. But for those listening in the future and for those here today, I'd like to have each guest briefly introduce themselves. First, we have uh, Deneen from United. Deneen, welcome. And uh, would you please introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks, Steve. Hi, everybody. I'm Deneen DeFiori. I'm the Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer at United Airlines. I've been with them just under, I think, about 10 months now. So prior to that, I uh, had various uh, different CCO roles at uh, GE and GE Aviation in particular. Thank you, Deneen, and welcome. Colin, if you would, please. Colin's from Levi's. Would you introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. Yes, Colin Anderson. Chief Information Security Officer Levi Strauss. Been in the role now a little over five years. Prior to that, I had a similar role, CISO role over at Safeway for many years before that. So thank you. Looking forward to the podcast. Thank you, Colin. Welcome. Charlie. Charlie, if you would. Charlie's from Expedia. Would you please introduce yourself? Thank you. Yes, uh, Charlie McNerney. I'm the Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer with Expedia Group. Been with Expedia for a year. But prior to that, uh, I was uh, 25 years with uh, Microsoft in a variety of CISO roles as well as uh, operations, et cetera. So, <laughs> Thank you, Charlie, and welcome. So again, this is 2021 cybersecurity predictions, but you know, part of looking forward is understanding current circumstance. And for all of us, that circumstance began to change a bit around March, probably. And in a earlier conversation that I had with with each of our esteemed guests, they initially began with kind of a theme around hard decisions and simplification and having to rationalize spend and even reprioritize the order of some of their existing work. And so as part of that sort of making these decisions and, and, and looking to simplify, I want to start, if I could, with you, Deneen maybe give us an, a look into what was it like 
for you and your organization, not only as a new CISO, but having this change happen. So kind of maybe laying the baseline for us, both in the work that you had to do and then, you know, the, the events that we've had and what was that like as the foundation so we can look forward into the future? Sure. Yeah, it was a, as a onboarding uh, to United Airlines. Was there for a month and a half. And as you mentioned, the world kind of changed in March, right? And I don't think it's anybody's, uh, anybody's surprise. The aviation and airline industry, among many others, was hit very, very hard by this. So month and a half in, we are trying to figure out, is the company going to be able to make it versus, <laughs> versus all the grand plans that I had um, to be this, uh, you know, uh, this, the new CISO that would come in and, you know, kind of take things to the next level for United Airlines. So what we really had to do was kind of focus in on what the priorities were, you know, aligned to the business risks and outcomes. And, you know, at the same time that we were trying to figure out what we need to do from a business action, of course, cyber criminals, threat actors take advantage of a crisis, right? So the threats and events and activity around that was going up. So it was a really interesting time to be able to, to balance, okay, we're in a downturn. We have to make sure that we're doing everything we can to keep the business solvent and, and you know, watch what we're doing when an increase in, you know, activity and protection that's needed as people transition from home or from the office to home was happening at the same time. So it really took a lot of laser focus on, you know, what are the risks? What's the most bang for our buck? And where do we put, you know, the resources to make sure that we're protecting the business? Because the last thing that a business needs in a in an economic or a pandemic crisis, right, is to be hit by um, something, you know, from a from a cyber perspective. Denise, you you also shared something that I think is valuable insight that, and maybe even for some of the the people earlier in their career, if they're listening. I was prone to this earlier in my career where I was very technology or very tool focused. Uh, that was a priority. It was even part of my identity. You know, you're, I'm, a, I'm a this, I'm a this specialist and it's very, and you align with, with various tech. Could you spend maybe a moment on that and, and how that added some challenge or, or did it or did it not add an, an issue? You spoke and shared with that. Sure. We have a, at United, um, you know, the, the team and the strategy has done, the, the strategy was to build a really capable foundational portfolio of security technology. It was an accelerated fashion over the past couple of years. And that's, that's great to put in place. But what was happening, especially in the crisis, uh, a couple of things, right? A lot of the implementations were midstream. So there weren't, you know, we weren't fully getting all the value out of the tools that, you know, in the future, we said, hey, here's the future state. This is where we want to be. But we were, you know, at the very beginning of an implementation or we weren't even implementing, implementing where we needed to be, right? So not the optimization and value wasn't there from the portfolio. Then you, you add on the fact that, you know, we are in an industry that's hit. There's a little bit of fear, uncertainty, doubt, right, by the employees, their incentives for employees to actually volunteer to separate from the company, right? And even though cybersecurity is still a top priority for United, people, there was a lot of um, attrition. And I'm just going to be very transparent with everybody for whatever reasons. So we had to, again, take a step back and say, okay, what technology, you know, is going to help us 
protect the business, put a lot of things on hold, right? And really, again, laser focus on getting the most bang for our buck, aligning that technology that's to solving the business problems or the risk mitigation that we had to put in place. So the great things that we wanted to do on the roadmap um, kind of had to be reshuffled and we will eventually get there. But now it's like, let's do one thing with this tool 100% and be assured that it's going to work and protect the business versus, you know, spreading ourselves things across multiple initiatives in a time where this is, you know, cyber risk is, is elevated and, and we need to be on top of things. Certainly. Thank you. That helps sort of set the stage. Charlie, you mentioned kind of a, a re-examining of, of, of tools as, as well. And despite, you know, budget isn't going up and there's a, you're, you're reevaluating. Talk to us about that, if you would, kind of set, set your stage for us. That's where I think Deneen and I share so much because we're both in a segment called travel. And so, you know, there's a couple adage, you know, adages to that. For us, when that hits you, it's, it's, it wasn't even gradual. It was sudden. So there is no planning for suddenly. And I think from that standpoint, you, you tend up trying to figure out how to react. And for us, it wasn't, you know, there was a bunch of things in play. There's the, the digital aspect of the job, and then there's the physical aspect of the job, and that we have employees that are in facilities that can no longer be there, and there's the remote nature of work. You can have plans, you know, for, for disasters. But it was interesting to figure out, do we, do we all have plans for pandemics? Now that we're in one, it is, it, it is taxing from a digital and physical perspective. So for us, it was just not only taking care of our employees, but where Denise and I can share is how do you take care of all the travelers? And are your technologies set up when you don't necessarily think about how much self-care you have for your systems? And I can think through how fast our product teams made changes to existing applications so that we could get systems that were somewhat, you know, archaic to make them more self customers could end up self-selecting and canceling their own trips without having to call. Because you can imagine what our wait times were like. They were hours. And you've got everybody built up because you're trying to get your travelers home for a variety of reasons. You're learning every policy for an airline. You're learning every policy for a cruise ship, a train, plane, zoo ticket, you name it. In addition to that, you're also wanting to make sure that your employees are remote, they're connected, they're healthy, their connections are healthy, and all of the systems that we're interacting with customers are safe and secure and private. So your plans go out the window. Then it's new plans. And how fast can you make sure that while your developer teams are making all of these changes, because you, you want that to happen, but that you're also managing your risk profile, that security is inherently built within the apps that they're changing. Is there a mechanism that you can ramp up on that allows them to get these changes faster, more secure? And I could tell you, it took us a while to catch up. It was easier to make sure that these customers were taken care of and have to lag behind our developer teams to make sure that what they did code was safe. What we did prop and the way we propped it was safe. We all got caught up, but I think it's just that it's that notion that, you know, when things happen to you, um, and we, I said it before, you, it doesn't matter. Things are going to happen every day. And now we have the beauty of all of these changes. And yet I'm going to have the same thing happen when we can get through this pandemic and suddenly 
everybody wants out of their house. And I'm super excited for that day. I know Deneen's super excited for that day. So part of this is the you know, what I call the perspiration to, to get it shut down. But now there's the aspiration to turn it all back on. And that's what I'm hoping all of this planning and some of these tough decisions, hopefully were well worth the opportunity to transform your posture. That'll be an exciting time. And I think we all look forward to that, my, myself included. Thank you for that. Colin, you, you mentioned also some, some turmoil on revenue, and, but you also shared something that I, I completely agree with, that challenges force innovation was the statement that you've made. Tell us about uh, your situation to kind of uh, set the stage before we go looking into sort of the prediction in the future of 2021. I'm generally a positive person. And so this pandemic, you can look at it as an opportunity as well as a challenge. And I think that's how the organization embraced it. You know, there, there, this was it, obviously the business was challenged, you know, revenue dramatically declined, but we all felt that we could innovate and come out of this stronger you know, be a healthier, stronger company, take market share. And so IT and information security were front and center, both for supporting our remote workforce around the world, but also helping transform our business and come out of the pandemic stronger. And so the last six months have just been a blur. You know, largely, you know, it's one technology project where we're working to bake in security, you know, after the next. And so it's been a marathon with a lot of sprints in between. And it's been a challenging year because the business is impacted, no question about it. Our revenue is significantly down, but we are continuing to invest because we think we can actually come out of this stronger and recover faster rather than you know really dramatically cutting. We actually, certain areas of our business, certainly our consumer facing businesses, we're actually, we are doubling down, making increased investments to come out of this stronger. So it's been, you know, it's forced us to drive a lot of change in a very short period of time. A lot of people have talked about you, you were doing two years of change in a six month period. And it's very true. And that speed is exciting. The change is challenging, but these are the fun problems to solve. And it's been uh, a challenging year, but an exciting one. I spoke with a uh, CISO yesterday that is in charge of a casino. He noted that the one benefit of this is that they got to shut everything down. So they were able to do all the really disruptive and nasty work that they would have been yelled at for doing before, that everything was off. So it didn't matter. And that's kind of a bittersweet success, but he was very happy that they were able to sort of do that because it's unprecedented. It had never happened before. Yeah. Like ever had they shut down the data centers. I find that interesting. I want to come back to you a little later because you, you have the sort of, perspective on hard decisions being difficult for security professionals, especially as it relates to making choices on what to do and what not to do. But I want to I flip to uh, a little bit of a different topic first, if, if that's okay. I want to I get into looking into 2021 in, in terms of what's new. Because a lot of times if I ask a CISO about a prediction, you know, maybe a year or two ago, it's more this optimistic kind of thing or this and not to say we can't be optimistic now, but it's with a different lens. It's saying, well, I think, or I plan to adopt, or it can be a little more harder leaning, whereas now setting the stage that we have, the big event might be just operating as we did before. Maybe there's 
this wonderful sort of surge that we're expecting where, hey, we, there's, a, uh, there's vaccines that, that people are comfortable with and everyone wants to travel and everyone's ready to, the consumer confidence is, is ultra high and we're ready to shop and do all these things. So I want to go back, if I could, to Deneen with this recovery that we expect to see and hope to see, you mentioned back into, you know, securing business outcomes. What do you think into 2021? What are you focused on now going into next year? What's your, what are the things that you want to knock out of the park? We were doing a, a lot of things to enable the business and because the business model is changing, right? We have to interact with customers differently. So when you think about health and uh, physical safety being at the top of the list, right? contactless interactions with travelers. So we're looking at things around how do you do your own bag tag printing that's already available at United, right? More digital interactions and on transactions for our customers online. You know, biometrics, right? Before that was a neat technology looking for a, a problem to solve. Now it's a now it's a priority, it's a necessity for, you know, authentication um, throughout the, your your travel experience, right? And then the other change that's happening, right, is because of the uh, focus on health safety. There's regulatory. There's there's more health data that we need to collect to allow people to fly safely or enter country safely, you know, and things like that. So all that dependency on digital automation and changing the way we work, because we would have we wouldn't have done those things before. Uh, puts digital risk management in the forefront, right? There's merging th- merging risks that we didn't have to deal with. Now we do. So it's and it's not just only us. It's around all the third parties that we interact with because we're not doing this alone. We have to be able to, you know, make sure that we are securing that whole experience. So we are really focused on making sure that we have the security model that enables the business from that um, ex- customer experience. And then as we interact with all of our partners, that it's cohesive and pervasive throughout that experience. So that's exciting because that's going to be a game changer for a recovery, you know, to get the confidence in the customer based on how safe, you know, how safe you tra- feel, not just from a physical perspective, but also from a cyber um, and data protection perspective. Deneen, maybe you could spend a second on uh, something you brought up related to biometric authentication and facial recognition and and to the degree you can share, to me, and I think that many organizations, it would have been a nice to have, or maybe something that happened in the think tank, you know, the people that get to experiment and play during the day would look into. But now it might be one of these outcomes that are necessary for safe travel. You know, you may decide that, or other people smarter than me may decide that. Right. Tell us about that, like that, that was a, something that was a nice to have and now may, might be a critical, and it may also affect from a business perspective, the ease of which we, we interact with one another and travel and visit the airport and breeze through, right? I mean, that's, that's right. There's, there's many exciting downstream implications. So talk about that looking into 2021, if you would. Yeah, it, it is becoming um, the biometrics you know, in different types of uh, forms are becoming the necessary um, form of technology to get through the the travel experience. So everything from, you know, I'm sure people are familiar with Clear, right? That was only used really at the TSA lines. Now we're saying, okay, where else do you need um, to be your IDs, to be your 
identity you need to be authenticated right is it a, a experience at the when you enter the club right so you don't have to interact with it with a with a customer service agent or is it as you board the plane some of those pilots were going on and things like that right so there's there's multiple touch points where we're trying to figure out um, where that fits and makes sense and how it, you know, customers can feel confident that they are authenticated and safe and, you know, it's easy as well, too. I'm excited to see that. I spend a lot of time on your airplanes. Great. And so I, I'm, I'm excited to see that. And, and sometimes in your club, too. <laughs> sometimes, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Colin, you know, you mentioned earlier that you you made more changes in the last six months than you had and maybe in the prior two years. And funny enough, that's typically the kind of enthusiasm that comes with breach response. Usually you get your requested to do about two or three years worth of maturity or cleanup in about six months. And so you've kind of had, I mean, that's been sort of a synthetic, you know, breach response in, in a way. Tell me about that and, and your focus on, as you mentioned in an earlier conversation, where the puck is going. What do you see? Yeah. So to the, your MGM story or your casino story, you know, we had the same opportunity with our stores closed for a period of time to do a lot of that hard maintenance, you know, software upgrades and other things that allowed us to move forward capabilities that we wanted to roll out to our stores, but we couldn't because they were so disruptive. You know, when do you make these massive changes that can impact your business, you don't want to take these outages. But when the stores closed, we were able to push forward these capabilities that we've been talking about for a great deal of time. We rolled out other, you know, a new remote access solution. We are kind of in the transition between one solution and another solution. And, you know, all of a sudden when your 10% of your workforce was remote and it goes to 100% over a weekend, you know, that speeding up that rollout was, you know, a priority to secure our employees regardless of where they're working. So these are some of the, the, the massive changes that we were able to make in a very, very short period of time. And, you know, basically every part of the security function, you know, had to really focus. I mean, I think focus is more than, more than anything else. Security, there's always a lots, lots of distractions. It's a target-rich environment. There's always things that you can work on and do better. But we really had to focus on what was most critical to our business know, what types of attacks we were seeing, what do we need to defend against? Because we've all seen that dramatic increase in 2020 in terms of the attack volume and even some new tools and techniques that we're seeing attackers use. But we had to have focus. And I think as a leader, that's one of the most important things you, you need to help drive for your team is, you know, what are we going to focus on and what are we not? Because you have to make those hard choices. You can't do it all. And so that's what I think back on 2020. It's been a lot about focusing on what's most important to the business, fo focusing on key things like protecting our employees, because they are still the top target. You know, that's easiest way into an enterprise is through the employees. So the more we can protect them, the more we can protect our enterprise. So that's kind of, that's kind of been some of the areas that we focused on. Colin, if you could, you mentioned some shifts in budget that I think are interesting. And, and you know, maybe for the benefit of the listener, this could be just something that you're seeing in general, or you could share if you, if you care to the shift you've seen in your own. But in general, you shared with me kind of a, a shift that you're seeing more focus on security, digital, and product, where it was maybe a 70-30, and now you know, you're seeing a change. Can you talk a little bit about that and why you think that's happened? Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, so as an organization, we're taking a very product-focused approach to our business. And so historically, the security budget was largely focused on enterprise security. And then there was a, a small carve-out for product security. And that's kind of been flipped. You know, as we start really much more focusing on products, the bulk of my budget is really more tied to product security efforts as opposed to enterprise security efforts. So when I look back into you know, 2018, 2019, it was probably you know, 20 to 30% product security and 70 to 80% enterprise. And that's kind of flipped where now it's over 50% of the budget is focused on product security and a little less than 50% is focused on enterprise security. And it's, it's just a rebalance of you know, your focus and where you're making your investments. Long term, I think it's the right focus for a consumer-facing organization, you know, because it, it is about protecting that consumer, protecting that trust, making sure that you know whether you're, it's a traveler or someone coming into your store, that that consumer can trust you as an enterprise, can trust their information with you. So I I like the focus that we're taking, and I think it makes a lot of sense to me, especially for a consumer-facing business. Perfect. No, thank you for sharing that. I think it's important for the listener for everyone involved to see, you know, maybe it's not as apparent to them, or maybe they haven't gotten that insight. Uh, maybe they're newer in their career and have never seen this of where is the, the dollar being spent? Where are organizations moving their investment and their time? You know, your, your priorities are where you spend your time. That's kind of the formula that I have. And so you, we're seeing new sets of priority, which may change and uh, influence the way we build our security teams, the way we manage our time in that regard. So thank you. I'd like to go, uh, Charlie, to you. Um, you spent a fair amount of time talking to me about slowing down a little bit and looking into better standards, hygiene, simplification. But with all of that, what are you seeing or what are you working on in 2021 going into this next year? And from my standpoint, it's, it's not unlike Denise's comment. We're spending a greater amount of time on how do we think through this notion of universal participation in the sense that today our third parties can be as challenging as first party, meaning we have had notifications by hoteliers, airlines, cruises with respect to compromise of data that happens to come from our bookings and is stored on their systems. Now it's not an impact directly to me but it is associated to us because our, our customer base will say, well, wait a minute, I, I booked that with Expedia. How did that, how did that happen to extend itself from a cruise line? And so we, we do have to think through the notion of how far participation extends when it comes to common data. And how do we think about, you know, this isn't about arm's length anymore. It's about extending our security protocols and expectation around trust and integrity to third parties. And then we got to worry about that fourth channel Denine talks about. And that's, that's where, you know, customers will or, or companies will extend that to find another booking company that, that helps facilitate the transactions. And therefore, now your data is extended even further. So I think this, this kind of this tracking and trying to understand what these journeys are and having a really good line of sight with respect to how the transaction flows and where you can get involved and how far can your security expectations go? Where can you hold folks accountable? And where do you worry about it? And how do you educate people about how they, they need to think about that? 
because I find that, you know, a lot of companies are really focused in on this attestation or certification mechanism around SOC 2 or ISO, and you see it. And I think companies can have great security postures. But in this area where we need to protect each other, it can only come from our ability to communicate and associate what that CARES and data standard looks like together so that we don't have things flowing around because our reputational impacts are the same. Yeah, I can understand where a hotelier may have been compromised, but to my customer, it looks like me. And so I, I, you know, that's the part where we've got to get better. So what does, you know, what does a PCI light or a security policy light look like when it gets the further away from your company? So now we see partners are demanding a little bit more around uh, how do we know we can trust each other? Yeah, we've had good security programs, but can I trust you? I'm passing, you know, incredible amounts of public and customer data, credit card information, et cetera. How do we extend it to know that the people that we connect with are in fact uh, as solid or are thinking about that as much as we are? So I think we're going to spend time there. I think it's important for us to get a sense of what our journeys are. And so I'm going to spend a lot more time on thinking through, you know, our attackers are not always human. And so we got to start thinking through, you know, just how fast they are. This notion of time to live using graphical tools to get on a network that's not segmented really just points to your crown jewels a little bit faster than you thought. So you got to spend a little bit more time up front thinking through these different journeys. So how do you think about our traveler journey, our developer journey, our employee journey, and make sure that we're beginning to think about where risk uh, and trust is started to get baked into each aspect of that journey. So now it just means we got to involve everybody and, and how we do that. With travelers, we got to think, you know, we're, we're talking through the, you know, what does multi-factor auth look like for a traveler where not only is it your financial data, but now it looks like encrypting your passport data and your family's data is kind of important. So do we ask travelers to take a more active role in owning their data, very much like healthcare data, uh, financial data, and say, hey, are you, are you willing to be more involved in that? Because we know that if they're involved, we mitigate fraud. And fraud is terrible for, for businesses like Deneen and Collins and ours. I mean, that's, that's a payout. That's, uh, that's an attacker that was not just getting their company, but they were getting their customer. So I think those are the things that we'll look to. Back to the how far do we extend these these mitigations and trust factors to it. So that's where we're going to spend our time. You know, for each of you, even after, so for those that are listening, we spend a little bit of time chatting uh, for the show to kind of get an idea of what we're going to cover. It's just kind of an outline, but with each of them, uh, I'll share that. And especially with you, Charlie, I take notes even as you're speaking. So we even covered some of this stuff. This isn't scripted at all, but I always find myself taking notes I have extra pages of notes from each of you because you use even different ways to describe these problems and different concepts that are good for those of us that have to educate and, and communicate. Uh, so I appreciate not only the answer, but how you gave it, you know, even this concept of everyone talks about third-party risk, but you introduced it as this, this idea of universal participation. And what does that, what does that mean? I, th- so thank you. I have a follow-on question. You, you spoke about attestation and, and what that is, and that's typically a legal or a contract type of thing in, in third-party risk. Do you see 
organizations or has your organization spent time to maybe put a procedural or technical control in place that reinforces this sort of something that would have been a legal document in the past? So thinking about risk, thinking about how you authenticate to one another, thinking about uh, how you exchange information. Is there anything that you're looking into 2021 that you're thinking about there? And then I want to go kind of in reverse order and ask Deneen and Colin the same. So from my standpoint, the answer is we are basically doing today data flows between all of our systems, both in and out, to determine if we can do a better job with respect to contractualizing, right of audit, uh, those types of things. Enforcement is super difficult. It's easier in the first, second party phase. It gets a little harder when I'm relying on, it's just like, well, here, I'm going to tell American Express what to do. Probably not. I'm going to, you know, they're going to tell me what to do from the standpoint that they're my credit card provider and, and et cetera. They're one of them. So you sit back and think, okay, that's, but in that world, if we, if we're able to see each other, meet each other, and kind of look at the opportunities we have together, then I think it gets better. Um, today, it's, it's, yeah, we have standards between where we store data, who has access to the data, we can validate all of that. It's the, it's the when it's further away, that's where we, we have to figure out, is there an arm's length opportunity that we don't know about or that we can somehow enforce? I don't know. We'll go as far as, you know, I, you know, I have no legal budget. So, I'll, I'll, you know, so that I'll go as far as the dollar that I have to spend on the problem. But we do have the problem to deal with. I appreciate the, the candor and the perspective. Deneen, anything that, that your organization, if, if we agree that this sort of this universal participation is important, and I think we, we all, all do, and, and, and even with a, a difficult time and probably, you know, cut resources. Are you working on anything or do you think organizations should work on going beyond just better contracts and better, better sort of audit? And, and if so, what might be a suggestion you have? Yeah. So a, a, a couple of things. One of, one, of the, one of the big initiatives we have is around, you know, kind of the third party risk management. But first, it starts with us. We need to make sure that we have a dynamic view of our controls at any any point in time, right? I, I really am trying to push everybody away from that static point in a time assessment, right? Yes, great. We passed the PCI assessment. Yes, great. We passed whatever assessment that was required by a customer or another regulatory agency. But that is a point in time. And we can't rest on those laurels. So we have to really move to a dynamic view of how our controls are operating at any point in time. So I want to be able to, to say, what does this look like? And pull up my dashboard, like in my, you know, in my nirvana, right? And say, we're good. I, I'm confident we're good. Now it's going to take time to get there. And we have a, a plan around, you know, how we're going to get there. But as far as, you know, then you extend that out to the ecosystem. I think that's a concept that we want to do as well, too. You know, instead of saying, hey, fill out this questionnaire and tell me what your program looks like, really trying to take the next step to be more of a uh, event-driven type of program. So if the relationship changes with the supplier, if the, the, if the data flow changes with a supplier or a partner or whatever, 
we are enacting the right reviews and, and are, you know, just discussions around what does that mean from the way we protect and interact um, together. Even if it's not a data exchange, if it is a, a dependency on a critical process or operation like a business process outsourcing, you know, I mean, how are we, if the business relationship is changing or the way we're using that supplier, interact with that supplier, we have to change our, at least assess our security posture, right? And then we have to do a better job of integrating intelligence, you know, from all different sources. If it's, in my case, the aviation ISAC or, you know, other intelligence feeds to say what's going on in the ecosystem and what is our, eco, like our supplier and partner posture looks like? Do we have gaps based on what's happening over here? Because we don't want it to impact us. We have to, we have to do better at, you know, kind of uh, insourcing in and, or sorry, integrating that type of information to, to get where we want to be from that first posture. So, you know, future state vision is going to take a little bit of time to get there, but that's kind of how we're, we're thinking about it now. I like that approach. I, I have to be a little bit diplomatic, but in my past, one of the things that I was able to work on is downstream. So related to third-party risk, if we saw either evidence of compromise of a, of a third party's credential that was federated with us or had access with us, either based on behavior or evidence of compromise. And there's, those are two different bits of, of, of two points of, of view. I worked with legal to sever access. And that's a very, very grumpy, unpopular event when this occurs, uh, as you well could imagine. But it was effectively saying, if I have evidence that your environment is likely compromised, it would be imprudent for me to maintain that because I have no further control over what could have happened downstream, both technically, legally, and all the rest, right? And the only way, so speaking of attestation, this was added into the contracts moving forward, but uh, they had to attest that they were in a known good state before we would re-enable. And sometimes this took a while. So this was a little clunky, but it was using the intelligence that you mentioned. Your comment made me think of that, but it took some, some fighting uh, to get that in place. So, but I, I do think that it's, that's where we need to go in some form. Every company is, is different. Every appetite for risk is unique, but I think that, that being able to explore that with a, with a legal team and a contract team and a sales team is important. Colin, anything that, uh, that you would share yeah, no, you, you, you raise a very valid point. We do focus on our supply chain as well. And there's only so much you can assess, you know, using the questionnaires or third-party tools, looking at public data. Um, and we've had several partners this year be compromised. And, we've ha- and we have cut off access. Uh, and it's, it's challenging. The business understands it, though. We've had to do it enough times. Our legal team is very supportive. You know, my executive team is very supportive because job one is protecting our enterprise and protecting our consumers. And so if we have a partner that's been compromised, you have to sever that risk until that partner can con- confirm to you that they have control of their systems. And again, they, they are in a known good state. It's uh, unfortunately, the reality is, is we all have hundreds, if not thousands of suppliers. And that risk is, if anything, growing. You can look at all many major breaches and it oftentimes it comes through a supplier, supplier's credential, a supplier's network connection, whatever the case may be. So 
if we're not looking at that risk, we're ignoring um, a, a serious risk to each of our enterprises. And so it's something that we do we true focus on. And unfortunately, I only see that risk growing. It, the reality is, is weakest link, you know, whatever you want to call it, you know, you have to keep your eyes on that issue as, and especially know what access they have into your environment, what information you're sharing with them, because every partner has a different risk, a different impact to your enterprise. And we do kind of triage them and we know which partners are probably our greatest risk because of the relationship. And then we have many partners that don't really present a tremendous business risk and we don't put as much energy behind those, but we do uh, definitely focus on the risk. It's a very difficult thing because often access through some mechanism is given. Most of us uh, haven't had the career opportunity to build a greenfield environment uh, over which we're responsible. We inherit something that is a, you know, a, a legacy flat network that we have to pr- protect with who knows what split credentials and whatever else are out there. And then you enter in this scenario, you paint with a risk and, you know, compromised credentials or compromised third parties. What does that mean? It's a daunting thing. So I, actually, Colin, I want to stay with you. I think one topic that would be interesting to the guests is from a risk perspective, from a, an attack perspective. I know things have changed, or at least most organizations have reported that they've seen increased activity, maybe a prediction or an expectation to set in 2021. What are you expecting to see from an attack perspective? Yeah, so we are in an API economy today. Um, There is a tremendous amount of access and information being exchanged through APIs, and we are seeing a dramatic increase in attacks against those APIs that are being used by applications. I hearken back to years ago when many organizations were moving into the cloud and they were learning how to secure data and systems in the cloud. And there was a learning curve there. I think we're going through that same learning curve with APIs right now. And we are learning as we go, um, making mistakes, catching them, fixing them. But I see a lot of attacks. I see attackers leveraging a lot of API vulnerabilities or configuration mistakes right now. I worry about the Asset proliferation, you know, we're all dealing with a lot of IoT type devices and that variety, the volume, many of them are, you you can actually flash or update very easily. And so they end up becoming a risk that you have to manage through segmentation or other controls. And so when I look out, um, you know, in 2021, I'm worried about the API attacks. I'm worried about asset proliferation. I do think that the solution, though, is, you know, talent, your people. At the end of the day, you can work to manage your process and kind of keep control of your assets. But I'm still, I, you know, I cannot say enough good things about my team. This year has been a trial and they've passed the test, flying colors. Talent solves so many problems. And as leaders, I think, you know, my, my number one job is to, you know, remove the roadblocks, you know, <laughs> help them be successful. Be a people multiplier. I mean, there it's a, it's like a team. You know, you might have one great player, um, but you're not going to be that one player is not going to be successful without the team around them. And so, I have a fabulous team. Sing their praises every chance I get because I would not be able to do the job that I want to do for the organization without that team. So, I see all these things coming at us, and I you know I think the solution really is you know having the right people focused on the right problems, and you'll find the answer. 
Uh, I, I dig it. And if we have time, I have a people section because uh, you made a point to talk about that uh, as well. So hopefully we have time to come back to that. But I appreciate the, uh, the perspective on the attack side. Uh, Deneen, looking into 2021 from a, the risks you see from attacks and the type of attacks, what are you expecting to see? I know we don't all have a crystal ball. Colin might have one. But based on what you've seen so far, what are you expecting going into 21? Like Colin, I am concerned about APIs as well, too, because they are, you know, with, with more and more, I guess, transactions and data being functionality, right? We're, we're seeing that, right? And it's not always, I'll say, a detectable kind of issue, right? It's because the developer didn't um, return to all the data on the back end, but only displayed what they need to on the front end, right? So it's designed as functioning, but how do you really look at that. So uh, I totally agree with Colin. That's something that's been very, very top of mind for me. The other thing too is around um, just, you know, seeing a lot of, uh, and this is not kind of sexy or fancy or anything like that, but really just being able to get, I'll say, the, the backlog of vulnerabilities, aged vulnerabilities, things that have been out there forever and ever that you're like, oh, well, that's been out there. It doesn't matter, right? those fixed, right? Because we're seeing more and more attackers kind of switch and pivot to, hey, this is this has been out there. This is easy. I'm not going to put in a lot of time and effort to you know design a new kind of attack method or vector or tactic. I'm going to go out there and do what's easy for me, right? And I think some or like we've gotten complacent a little bit in that and we have to start to really take care of that tech debt and um, kind of remediate those vulnerabilities, like just, and maybe this is the time to do it because we have a little, like we said, we have a little bit of a, a, a downtime from our, you know, business. And if we can't, we can't take, you know, the systems aren't architected to do patching and they still need eight to 10 hours of down, downtime, you know, let's all go in there because that's kind of the opportunistic way I see kind of some of the threats evolving, which again, not sexy and, and new or whatever, but it's just something that I've seen, like that more occurrences of. Absolutely. So I think uh, the other thing is, is if you're going through and you know cleaning house and and trying to rationalize what you have uh, through that exploration, the added time that you might have, you know, you might find that some of that stuff could just be turned off and thrown away too. I, That's right. I, how many times in my career doing IR or you know we have had a running bet where how many systems we'd find during IR that were just, that should have been turned off and thrown away. And right. so you, you find that in, in, in every company. Uh, so yeah, that, that's another, another one, maybe Charlie, from, from your perspective, what are you from an attack perspective or maybe from a, a threat perspective into 2021? What do you, what do you think we'll see? Well, I'm going to just not maybe just I think Deneen and Colin have it right. We're all in an API speed world, which is really enabling our revenue streams to get super fast, get them digital, get them connected. And so I'm on that API uh, front as well. But as much as talk about the future, I'm, I'm really wrestling kind of a correct the past notion to Deneen's point. The sheer amount of vulnerabilities that we have within existing systems, whether we think about desktop, server, cloud, uh, most people who ran to the cloud did a you know, non-native cloud build inherently, and they lifted and shifted old workloads 
and put them in a highly efficient container and we call it really cool. No, those are not good workloads and they're not very secure, but yes, I know that they're in the cloud, so good for you. But as much as I talk about universal expectation or participation, I also talk about expectation in the same way. I need to crowdsource my security emphasis as far through every person that I can connect with. It's not a central team to deal with fixing. I don't patch boxes, in other words. But I need the teams that do to understand how to think about it daily, not when I tell you it's vulnerable. It's the amount of sheer notification. Can you, can you at least uh, uh, understand that that's your system, that this is back to you know, what your customer and what your integrity says? How do we get it patched versus just Charlie patch? Mine is to make sure that you want a healthy environment and you check for it and you know that it's tied to your customer throughput and you're doing a, a lot more on that area. So that as much as I can think about crowdsourcing the notion that this isn't just my practice, it's also yours, whether that's the developer journey, whether that's tailgating into a building when we talk about badges and someone says, oh, I don't want to turn around and ask somebody if that's their badge. And yet, you know, for some facilities, you can have people walk in, steal notebooks, personal effects, and out they go. And we go, wait a minute, we we really are asking you to be involved in the risk and trust posture of the company. And once you start doing that, you begin to start seeing it's a difference. In fact, I'll, I'll use an example for our chairman. Recently just comes to a facility and uh, we, you know, back to the physical aspect of badge, recently shows up and then is, is wanting to go through and try to figure out why his badge doesn't get through when the doors open. And so it was interesting for someone, and this is back to, you wouldn't expect it, for an employee to tell around and turn the chairman, it's one badge, one swipe. And you're like, that person's got it. Now, this is the chairman of your company. And that person says, just wait a second, it's one badge, one swipe. All of a sudden, you think when you hear that, and it's not solicited, you go, somebody's participating, right? So you just think, wow, I'm just going to write that one thing down and go, I found one person today that's super excited about being involved in the risk profile of our company. So again, I, I just share those stories because this is what Colin does all day and Deneen and I do all day is we're just really trying to get as many people involved in our programs as we possibly can. So that's, that's what I'm gonna spend my time on and, and hopefully uh, a resurgence uh, in travel. Kind of reminds me of the story when JFK visited the launch site many years ago before he we went to the moon and he stopped and asked the custodian to say, what, what is it you do here, sir? And he kind of stepped out of line and, and uh, we all probably know what, what I'm about to say, but he said, rather than say, I clean the floors, it's I'm helping put a person on the moon. And it's the same sort of thing. You know, one of the things you mentioned, Charlie, is, you know, your, your mission uh, goal is to be the world's best travel brand. And so uh, I want to pivot on that and go back to you and talk a bit about people. I know Colin wants to chat about this. We're, we're coming in on time, but you shared some advice with me, getting people excited about the work, even in, in difficult times. Can you spend just a second on going into 2021 and a bit of leadership advice, if you could share on that? Thanks, but um, it's all we got. And to Colin's point, Denise's point, it, these are the, it is all you have. And so you do have to make sure that 
you have them involved in what they want to do. They're working remotely. They don't see each other. I've got people on my team I haven't met yet physically, right? I, I've seen them. I've met them on an 11-inch screen. Um, but how do, I, how do I get that connection? What I need folks to do is very much like your example, Steve, is I need them to know how much they're involved in basically the care of this company when it comes to every event we have, every vulnerability we fix, uh, everything that we enable that flows revenue through the company and data through the company in a very trusted way. And to Colin's point, there's not enough of them. We, we all suffer from uh, talent from the standpoint of you know, just the amount of change we've all gone through with respect to people working on their own needs and finding new spots. But we also have to you know, make sure that you know, where our talent comes from in the future may not be as we have traditionally thought, these you know, folks that have come through, they're all certified, they got their C CISSPs and they're ready to go. No, we're, we're actually, there's not enough of them. And so we're, we're taking a stance and I'm taking a stance uh, to grow from within. Um, I'm finding incredibly passionate, technically oriented folks that I need to be involved in, in risk. And we're gonna invest in them so that I have kind of a feed store uh, to this notion of change, um, because I have to. There's just, uh, we're all, we all have security related roles open in our companies and, and we're taking a long time to fill them. So I think uh, I'm gonna spend time investing there. Uh, but to Colin's point, it's the care and the feeding, it's the supporting, it's the hearing them out, it's connecting and making sure that we're not just remotely uh, working uh, in this digital field. It's how do you make that personal connection where you can? And, you can't overwater that plant is how I'll put it. Um, as leaders, you just, uh, you just got to stay on top and you got to stay involved. Thank you for that. I'd like to go to Deneen. You mentioned early on that, that you know, going into this new position as, an, as a new CISO and fairly high level of attrition that's brought on by the pandemic, that we can all understand is extremely difficult. But I asked you a question. I'd like for you to explore that with us is who, who left and who stayed? And you had a very specific sort of message around that, that, that centers on mission. Can you share that? Yeah. So I think um, I have been in the aviation industry for half of my career and it is really unique. Um, it is from a cyber threat profile. You see pretty much everything um, you see you know, the, the cyber crime, you see, you know, motivated by financial, you see IP theft, you see uh, on the, you know, aviation safety side, you see some things happening over there. It's just, you know, nation states, you name it, we have it, right? So it's just a very interesting dynamic, you know, environment. But when you think about like aviation, a lot of people they, they call them AV geeks, right? <laughs> if you're on Twitter, it's hashtag AV geek, not like audiovisual, but aviation geek. And there's a, there's a draw to it, right? Because aviation, if you think about it, um, it has changed the world, right? It is, uh, it is responsible for economic, the, you know, I mean, uh, connecting the economy, economic growth, um, you know, you transport people, not, you know, you, for, for you lift them, you, that's, transport people to for a purpose, right? And you get them there safely. So and the technology behind it, not just the IT technology, but the, you know, the you think about it, like I even step back every time I, you know, see a new aircraft or even just one of the models that 
I like, and I'm like, wow, that's just amazing. Right. So the people that want to be connected to the mission and keep growing and being, you know, I mean, and doing good, right. And being part of that kind of innovation on uh, the future of flight, right. They're there and they're staying and they're helping secure that mission, which is great. So when you have that connection to the business and the outcomes, you know, all that, the hard times, you can get through it and it really does make you stronger, you know, to kind of be creative and help us, you know, from my perspective, be the best airline in the world. And I'm excited about that. Really excited. That shows it comes through. It's an amazing leadership story to tell as well. You know, one day, you know, maybe you're sharing it with somebody, maybe a mentee or maybe another job interview, who knows, and say, let me tell you about the time I got a new job. And then the world stopped, right? And, yeah. and that's, that's, that's the gift in a very strange and maybe perverse way that you've been given, right? And that's, that's the opportunity as leaders that, that, that we each have. And thank you for sharing that perspective on mission. And I want to close on, on Colin. Uh, that was one of the things people, when we met to talk about this, he was adamant. You know, your position is we don't focus on them enough. And you alluded to this earlier. What's your, what, what would you share to a leader who wants to get better at that? Yeah, um, empathy is key. Trying to stand in the, standing out in someone else's shoes is very, always a very important skill. But the human element will always be number one. You could have the best strategy in the world, but if you don't have the people to deliver that strategy, it's just a piece of paper. I think a leader's number one job is to recruit the right talent, train and develop that talent, remove roadblocks to help them be successful and be a people multiplier. You know, you know, I can only accomplish so much individually, but I can accomplish a tremendous amount through others. And so, you know, I, I, I get so excited when I see the success of my team solving major problems, figuring things out. You know, it's, I get, you know, that's the thing I enjoy most about my job is the people aspects. So as a leader, you know, no matter where you are in your career, the soft skills are really important. The communication skills are really important and always put people first, you know, everything else, it flows so much easier. The technology will solve itself if you've got the right people and the right talent. So I'll leave it at that. Perfect. Thank you for that answer. And Thank you, Colin, Deneen, and Charlie for your time. This has been fantastic. We started a couple minutes late. We went a couple minutes long, but it was uh, so much uh, worth it. Hopefully for the guests, it certainly was for me. This has been a live recording of uh, the new CISO podcast for Spotlight 2021 Cybersecurity Predictions. Thank you again so much. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for this episode of the new CISO. Thank you for listening. Check out more episodes on exabeam.com forward slash podcast. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe to get brand new episodes first.